I want to ask you to, um, to think about where you spend your time, where you spend most of your time. For some of you, that will be uh, work. For some of you, you will spend most of your time with your family, some in school, uh, which is work uh, for students. Uh, but but I, I want you to consider this morning uh, where you spend your time. And what I'm going to say to you today is the things, the relationships, the places that are on your minds as you think about where you spend your time, is where God has sent you. And I'm going to say to you this morning that um, if God has sent you where you work, where you spend your time, in the relationships and friendships that are in your hearts and on your minds, then how you live in those places and in those relationships matters. If God has sent you uh, to your work, how you act at work matters. Since God has placed you in the relationships that you have in your families with your relatives, some of whom you would not like to be your relatives, how you live in those relationships makes a difference. And I'm going to take you to a passage in Matthew, and I'm going to talk about something connected to what I I, I talked about in Bronzeville, actually, last week, although uh, I'm going in a different direction. It's It's in Matthew's gospel in the latter part of the ninth chapter, early part of the tenth chapter, where Jesus is talking to his disciples after he has performed all these miracles, miracle after miracle, healing after healing. And the ninth chapter closes, and he tells his disciples that they are to look at what they've seen in him, and as he sends them out, to do what they've seen him do. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, is commissioning, not in the Great Commission passage, but is commissioning them in Matthew 9 to be apostles, or sent ones to share the message of the gospel of God's kingdom. And one of the words that we use to talk about what we will hear in this passage is evangelism. Faith sharing. Sharing what it is that God has done, that God has done for you with others. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, not just about evangelism specifically, but about evangelism and other ways that these apostles will respond to what they hear from Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It should be up. If uh, you don't have your Bible, look up on the screen. We'll read from the 35th verse of chapter 9 to the uh, 4th verse of chapter 10. Scripture says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and denouncing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep Without a shepherd. One translation of confused and helpless says, harassed and torn. 
like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 10 says, well, verse 37, rather. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James' brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. This is the word of God for us. This morning, I'm going to just sort of point out two or three um, movements in these verses. And I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to talk about how Jesus sends us. And I'm going to do that by looking at how Jesus and pushing you, uh, pressing you to look at how Jesus sends these disciples, these first apostles, the first sent ones. And so uh, the first thing, uh, and just kind of get right into it, the first thing uh, that, that I see Jesus saying and doing in uh, the lives and the, listen, the, the ears of these disciples is that Jesus is sending them to continue to do what they've seen and heard from him. Jesus' ministry includes the proclaiming of the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick. He's casting out devils. And, and if you look at the New Testament, you, uh, particularly the Gospels, you can look at every other page and see Jesus doing precisely that. Either he is proclaiming the gospel, he's teaching in a synagogue, he's casting out a devil, he's healing somebody who is sick, and, and he's extending compassion again and again. And, 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 and he is coming to his disciples in this passage, and he's saying to them, what you've seen me do, I want you to do. What you've heard me say, I want you to say. Every time Jesus heals, every time Jesus works a miracle, he is embodying the kingdom of God that he's preaching about. When he goes to the synagogue and he teaches, and a man who's paralyzed comes, his friends bring him before Jesus. Jesus raises the man up. What he's doing is both teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's embodying what life in the kingdom of God is like. So when he heals, Jesus is showing that, that, that bodies are meant to look like this in the kingdom of God. When Jesus grants a miracle, raises up a child who is dead, he is saying in the kingdom of God, life is supposed to be like this. And he is coming to his disciples in this passage and he's saying to them, I am sending you to do what it is you've seen me do in my ministry as I have preached and tried to bring forth and embody the kingdom of God. 
When Jesus calls these first apostles, he says to them, uh, you are to be a part of my restorative work. You have seen me do these things. I have been working and, and, and restoring um, all things that I am in, in encountering, that I am interacting with, and you are to follow me in this way. You are to preach. You are to heal. You are to minister. And and Jesus talks to them about their ministry field or their mission field. He says to them, I expect you to go to Israel. Go to the lost of Israel. Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Matthew anchors these disciples. He is coming to go to Israel. He's also extending the boundaries beyond Israel in his ministry. And he's coming to his disciples and he's saying, you go to the lost, to the harassed, to the torn, to the confused of Israel. That is what Jesus is saying to them. Jesus is, is pushing them to see the teaching and the embodiment of the gospel, the message that God's ministry is near, is now, and is changing everything. Jesus is preaching about the good news, and the good news is that God's kingdom is near, that God's kingdom is now, that God's ministry, God's kingdom changes everything. And these disciples are sent to say that. He is sending his apostles to say to the harassed, to the torn, to the confused in Israel, their harvest field, their mission field, that God's kingdom, which is now, is near and is changing things. And here's my question for you, because because Jesus does not just talk to these first 12, these first apostles, these first sent ones. Jesus allows us to encounter these words and this text and to answer the question, how are we, as we go, embodying this kingdom message? That God's kingdom is now, that God's kingdom is near, that God's kingdom is changing things where we are sent. These, these disciples are sent to a confused Israel, to, to a harassed and torn people. Israel has been scattered and exiled and mistreated by nation after nation. And it is that Israel, that mistreated people, who is getting missionaries, witnesses being sent by Jesus to proclaim God's message. Now, I want to run through a couple passages from the Old Testament that talk about this language of Israel being a scattered people, Israel being an exiled people, a harassed people. And the first one is in Numbers 27. Numbers 27, uh, verses 16 and 17. Scripture says, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint to man over this community. To go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Here, remember Jesus calling this language as he talks to his disciples and sends them out. The second passage is in 1 Kings 22, verse 17. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. 
Ezekiel, who is in ministry, he's a priest uh, in a very dramatic book talking about life in the temple, life as a prophetic priest. In the 34th chapter, is talking about Israel. He says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Jesus is pulling this language uh, for us, for these disciples. And this morning, I, I want you to think about, <coughs> excuse me, where, where God has placed you, sent you. I want you to think about, if you can use this language, your Israel, your harassed, your torn, your confused, your scattered mission field. I want you to think about where it is that God has placed you and to ask yourself this question in your heart, am I going to a harassed people? Am I, am I running away from the relationships that God has sent me to? Am I running toward them with a message of the gospel that says God's kingdom is here, is now, is changing everything? Is my life a life where I am hearing Jesus, following Jesus, I am hearing Jesus and speaking for Jesus after I hear from him? In a real sense, uh, our church is gathered here this morning. We are gathered together. We worship together. But when we go, when we, when we scatter, God sends us to various places, to various people, to relationships, to families, to work situations. And one of the characteristics of the places that God sends us to is that they are harassed. They are torn. They are confused. They are like Israel because that is the place where disciples of Jesus go. These disciples are sent to do what they've seen Jesus do, say what they've seen Jesus say. And they are personally transformed, even though they're not the best group. They, and I'll get to that in a moment. They, they're actually a pretty clueless group from time to time. But Jesus sends them Uh, Because they have been in his presence, they are being transformed by him. They are being changed by the gospel that they are preaching to others. They are being changed by the message that they are carrying to others. Jesus says to them that there is a harvest. And Matthew defines harvest in uh, uh, um, 13 and 39 as the end of the age. That verse says the field is the world. Matthew 13 and 38. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. And and Jesus is talking about this harvest, this end of the age. And there are various passages in Joel and Isaiah that talk about the the end of the age. And Jesus is using this language of the harvest to, to remind his disciples that there is an end of the age to which you are working when you work for me. There is an end of the age to which you are ministering or preaching or teaching when you minister, preach or teach or live for me. 
And for us, as we listen to Jesus talking to his disciples, the question is, do we know where our harvest is? Do we recognize our harvest as the place that God has sent us? Do we know that God has an end in mind for the relationships, the work situation? And are we responding as if the gospel has to be told and lived where we are? Jesus sends them to continue what they've seen and heard. Secondly, uh, Jesus sends them. And this is kind of first, but it's, it's second. Because in, in the language of the text, Jesus is talking to them about the harvest. He's saying to them uh, that you should pray that God provide workers of the harvest. So pray that God will provide people to fulfill this need. And then Jesus says, you are the answer to your prayers. In uh, the first verses of chapter 10, he says to these laborers, he says to them, after he's told them to pray, that God would send workers, laborers, harvesters, that they are the, the harvesters. He lists the 12. And we read this already, but Jesus called them, And here are their names. First Simon, then Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, Iscariot. These people, they're all men in this account. These men are the first ones. And let me point out, as I preach, that these are the ones that Jesus sends. They're not all the ones who are sent. But in this particular passage that we have in Matthew, Jesus is sending these 12. And the text opens with Jesus reminding them to pray that God would send workers into the harvest, and he sends them as answers to this prayer. This is a pretty unimpressive group. If you know three or four things about the Gospels, you know this as one of them. They, this group doesn't quite get it. They don't really understand what Jesus' ministry is about. They admit their cluelessness. They don't necessarily know how to exorcise demons and um, heal people. They, they, they don't seem to get it, and this is after Matthew chapter 9 and 10. There are many times when this group tells us that they are not quite the dream team. They screw up. They get into arguments. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're flawed individuals. They they don't have the best leadership skills. They're used to fishing, um, which is not bad. Uh, Fishing is good. It's just not preaching. You know, you're working with fish. Fish don't talk. People talk. People, and this is the group that Jesus sends. He sends this flawed, sort of imperfect, often disloyal, disagreeable group. One of them even sells him out, literally. And these are the folks that Matthew says... Jesus sends. And it would be kind and it would be sweet and it would be nice if this was just a history of the church. But the fact is uh, that this is the contemporary life of the church. Jesus, Jesus sends people like this today. 
and we are here. Disagreeable, disloyal, unimpressive, sell them out. And we have skills in some areas, but not necessarily in these areas. All of the the similar characteristics to these first apostles is in the church with its leaders, with its servants, those of us who are sent to be harvesters. And yet, Jesus, who sent them, sends you, sends me. If you were to think about, and if I were to take a poll this morning of all of the characteristics that you think disqualify a person from being a preacher, from being a missionary, from being an apostle, a sent one, whatever you want to put in that place, whatever synonym. If you were to think about that one characteristic, that flaw, that big deal issue, if we all did that, all 300 and whatever, 400 of us, whoever's in here, if we did that, I promise you that whatever you're thinking is in this room this morning. And the truth of the gospel of being sent is that Jesus sends us with those issues, with those problems, with those characteristics, with those sins, with those flaws. Jesus does not wait for you and for me to deal with our junk before he sends us. Jesus sends you with the smell of your junk on you. Jesus sends you with the residue of your issues on your feet, dragging your footprint. Jesus sends them and Jesus sends us. And sometimes that's impossible to believe, right? Because Jesus couldn't possibly send us. Not with that, not with this, not with those things. I can't wrap my brain around Jesus who knows me and still sends me with that. And I think Matthew, Matthew pushes before us a truth that is hard. And that is simple. And it's already been stated that Jesus sends them. He chooses Judas. He chooses Andrew. He chooses Matthew. He chooses you. He chooses you. He chooses me. I will resist the urge of calling some of your names, but he chooses you name by name. That's number two. Number three. Jesus sends them knowing their stories. Now, now this is a fine point um, that I'm going to try to make um, somewhat, of a, somewhat of a larger point by. And we can miss this in Matthew's account here. Um, Jesus is choosing these 12. And the way Matthew lists the 12 is he lists some of these disciples with a set of parentheses next to their name. They're almost insignificant, but they are there. And I think they give us a glimpse into something beautiful, something that's connected to the last point about Jesus sending them. Jesus sending them, not just them, but knowing their stories, being aware of their stories. Matthew, aware of their stories, and he's pointing out these parentheses. Matthew cites a few examples. And I think in these examples, in these parentheses, we get glimpses of personal history. 
We get glimpses of relationships. And he lists these apostles. The 12 are named Simon, also called Peter. That's his parentheses. Then Andrew, Peter's brother, his parentheses. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Then we move past Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Jesus, and I'm just about done with the sermon this morning, sends these disciples with these parentheses attached. Jesus with these stories and these relationships with uh, which Matthew hints at points to the potential group of the apostles who are being sent uh, for them to be transformed in the face of their parentheses. Say the word parentheses. Now, parentheses for some of you will mean the relatives who you don't get along with. Parentheses for some of you will mean um, the history that you've been carrying for the last six weeks, six months, six years, six hours. Parentheses for some of us are the broken relationships, the dysfunctional dynamics in relationships that, that, that stare you in the face even when people tell your story. Matthew is telling these disciples' story. He is saying Judas was one of them. You remember Judas. That's the one that sold Jesus out. And Judas, if he tried, can't get away from his parentheses. And the point I think to make today is that for the gospel that is being proclaimed by these people who are being sent, the gospel is being sent, uh, the gospel is being rather proclaimed by people with parentheses that they cannot get away from. And Jesus sends them, knowing these things. The text seems to keep us in between these miracles that are taking place in Matthew chapter 9 and after this calling, the instructions that Jesus has. And he has many instructions for these disciples as they go out for their ministry. Jesus, on the one hand, is giving instructions before he is having miracles, working miracles. And in between miracles and in between instruction is this calling of these Followers in mission. Before this text, there are these miracles. After this text are these teachings, these instructions on how they should act. And sometimes, church, sometimes, church, sometimes, church, all you have as a person with parentheses following you around is a memory of the miracles that Jesus has already worked and the instructions that Jesus gave you as you tag along and try to do what it is that God has called you to do. Son of Alphaeus, brother of Peter, seller out of Jesus. Jesus sends these 12 apostles, sending them with a message about Israel, communicating them to them the plan of God to restore Israel. Um, I, I read a quote from Stanley Hauerwas, and he's talking about this text. It's a commentary on this text. He's explaining the gospel in a particular way, and we've heard many uh, definitions of the gospel, the good news, and, and Hauerwas is talking about the gospel, and he says that the way the gospel is known is by one person being for another person the story of Christ. 
The way the gospel is known is by one person being for another person, the story of Christ. And here is my question for for Matthew, my question for us to hear and to answer as a church, is if the way the gospel is known is by you being the person of Christ for another person. What does your life say? What does it say about the gospel that your life embodies with your story, with your history, with your junk, with your sludge, with your character right where you are? If God sends you, not just these folks, but you, what does it say about God? If it is true that the gospel is the story that your life tells. What kind of gospel is that? Is it a transformative gospel? Is it a grace-filled gospel? Is it a judgmental gospel? Is it a gospel that says... Come here, girl. People with stories like yours are sent out. Come here, guy. Come here, boy. People with stories and pasts like yours are sent out to tell that God's kingdom is here, is now, is working, is changing everything. It is true that these disciples and the choices that they make and the choices that we make matter. Um, how they live, and this is what I said when I began, if God has sent you to relationships, to work, if God has sent you to places, how you act and how you are in those relationships matter. It makes a difference. It is significant, the life you live and the life that you don't live when you work, when you play, when you live. It makes a difference. It matters. But it doesn't matter as much as the life that Jesus lives. It matters that you respond with all of your life, with all of your story, to what the gospel claims. It matters. But it matters just as much, more, what Jesus has said about you and about me. And that is that um, people with lives in transition, like these disciples, are used by Jesus. Your decisions about transformation should certainly mirror the fruit of the Spirit, the God who transforms you. Your decisions about how you think should certainly mirror what Matthew talks about in the Beatitudes, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, those major teachings. Your attitude matters. Your decisions about holiness and living and obedience to the commands of Christ, they are commands of Christ. They are not suggestions by Christ. Matter. Yes, yes, yes. And when your life When my life doesn't reflect the commands of Christ, when your life and my life 
looks the opposite, Judas, of what Jesus has been walking before you year after year. You are still included in the list. And so what I, what I want to invite you to do this morning, if you are here and you're listening to me and you're thinking, the way I treat my family, I can't be included in the list. If you're here and you're thinking the way my family treats me, they can't be included in the list. If you're here this morning and you're thinking about that parenthesis, which is your past, which is your story, and you're saying, if God knows those things, there's no way God needs me for the kingdom. There's no way with the list of things that I'm praying about, trying to get changed in my life, that Jesus ever wants to use me. I want you to come and kneel so that we as the church can pray for you. What happens in Matthew chapter 10 later on after these instructions is that Jesus says to this group, be encouraged. And he's telling them that you're going to go through all kinds of suffering and all kinds of persecution. And he says that some of them will fall away. Some of them will not be able to bear the responsibility of discipleship. Some of them will not be able to live what Jesus has told them to live. Some of them will say, that life is too hard. If that's what following Jesus is about, I can't do it. And Jesus is addressing that right away. And he's saying, I know some of you will fall, some of you will falter, some of you will stop living this life. And if you're here this morning and you're in that camp where you're questioning Maybe I should stop living this life. Maybe I can't be the disciple of Jesus. I want you to come and kneel. Because here's the thing. The church of God is going to make it really hard for a follower of Jesus to fall away. And we want to pray for you. Does that make sense what I'm talking to? That might not be, but a few folks... But I'm going to ask you to come and kneel anywhere up here. And then I'm going to ask a few folks in the church to come and kneel around you and to stretch their hands over you and to spend a few moments praying for you. So if, if any of that grabbed you, those, those areas, if you're looking at your history and saying, God doesn't want me, God couldn't send me, you come up and pray. If you're here and you're saying, ah, God could send me, but... You know, this persecution, this suffering, this struggle, I don't think I want to go anymore. You come up. You come up. Anybody else want to come up? Neil.
Come up and kneel. The next picture is going to be one where it's difficult to tell who's who. And that's the beauty of an authentic community that radically advances the cause of Jesus. So church, I want a few of you to come and sit around, stand around, kneel around these folks. And I want you to pray that God would make discipleship easy for these folks, that God would make leaving impossible. I want you to pray that the Spirit of God would consume these brothers and sisters. So you get up. You get up while I'm talking. Church, a few of you, get up and get around these folks. I want you to lay your hands on them. I want you to pray for them. Come on. Come on. Come on. And if you sit in your seat, I want you to pray. I want you to, to sit or to kneel where you are. You can, you can stand in God's presence. And I want you to pray. I want you to open your heart. I want you to pray and ask God to work. Ask God to work. Spirit of God, fall in this place. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. Consume me by pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray, Lord, that, that, you would, that you would protect them this morning. 
That, Lord, you who have sent them would make your presence known where you've sent them. Lord, it is true that you never send us where you are not. So I pray for each brother and each sister this morning. That they would see you where you've already sent them. That they would get a sense of your presence waiting for them when they go back to their jobs, when they go back to their homes, when they go back to their relationships. God, I pray that they would see the issues and the challenges and the problems, yes, but that they would see you, see you at work, that they would see your kingdom now, that they would see your kingdom near, that they would see your kingdom changing everything. So God, do your best work. And that is to protect your followers. God, you have placed your spirit in them. It is not possible for the enemy to prevent the power of God from being at work. You are more powerful than the enemy that comes against these brothers and these sisters. So God, I pray that you would be strong and mighty. I pray, God, that you would be mighty in battle. God, I pray that you would give encouragement where there is discouragement. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are seated this morning, who are wondering whether or not you could use them. Would you confirm the truth that you have already been at work in their lives day after day, and that if you have been at work already, that you will continue the work that you've been doing. God, you use us. We don't know why, but we're grateful. We can't understand how, but God, we're thankful. And so we come thanking you for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion, for your gospel. So keep on doing the work that you do. Keep on working and living in us. God, don't let us be persuaded and convicted by the wrong voice. But God, let us hear your voice. And that is that you send and use and want and choose us. We're grateful, Lord God, for your great love. We're grateful, Lord God, that it is your love that is perfect, that casts out fear. So for somebody in church this morning that needs to hear that you love them, God, would you speak and would you say that my love for you is perfect. My love for you is deep. My love for you is more than enough. And so, God, would you convince us of that love, convince us, God, that it is that love that sins. touch these brothers and sisters, these intercessors who are praying so that God we will walk away knowing that we have been chosen, we have been sent by your loving, gracious hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Church, I'm going to ask you to, um, I'm going to ask that you hear uh, and sing this, uh, this song as we, as we prepare to go this morning. Because the truth in the song, we need to keep in our hearts and on our lips. So stand up, stand up, yeah, stand up and, and open up your throat. Oh. How he loves us all Oh, how he loves us How he loves us I just, I, I want you just to keep singing that last line, worship oh. team. And, and here's, the, here's the blessing. 
for when Jesus to send you, for you to be sent knowing that he loves you and Jesus who loves you sends you and Jesus who sends you is where he sent you. So that's how you go home and you, you go home singing that he loves you. How he loves us all. So church, you go home singing that and we'll see you next week.